Well, I know it has been a long, good day. It has probably felt like you've had your mouth hooked up to a fire hose and just all of this information. So this last session, I just, I want to be tactical for you. To be an effective warrior, you need to be tactical. And uh, um, I just, again, want to shout out to Clinton, who's sitting down over there. I call him the badger. Uh, if, if you know him, he is tough like a badger. Uh, we got to train together last time I was here, and he is just, I didn't even know what he, uh, he ordered a book. We were, we were just thinking that maybe we were a, a ministry that would minister in the, in the U.S., and uh, we got an order one day, years ago, from a Clinton Kirkpatrick in Ballymena. <clears throat> now, I get all the orders, they come through, and anybody, anybody who orders something, I personally call. And tell them thank you, whether it's a $2 wristband or whatever. And that's the way we've built our ministry, just grinding it out. Anybody buys anything. Well, I saw this weird phone number, and I went, Lori, to, to, to our, uh, our merch lady, who is also my wife. I said, Lori, what is, what is that Palimena? She's like, I don't know. And we, 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 we saw that we, we've never shipped overseas. So since then, we've figured out how to do that. But because of one guy... And he ordered a book, uh, Here We Are, and we get to lock shields with a bunch of crazy Irishmen. Uh, whose life are we living, Michael? We love, when I say that, we love being here. I mean that. We love being with you, and we are here to serve you, and it is an honor to be in your midst. And so I want to leave you with something today that is tactical. So hopefully, uh, Michael, uh, in that great job on the uh, on just... Just, uh, yeah, commercial, but the commercial is so that we, when we leave here, <clears throat> that you can have something in your hands, that you can take this home. Because I, I guarantee you, the enemy is going to come against the truth that you've gleaned. You know, I saw you taking notes in Jasper's session. I was too. I'm going to steal some of that as my own. Uh, I love the idea about the pub ministry. That is awesome. So we're getting all this good stuff, but... If, you don't, if you're not tactical about it and you don't allow the Holy Spirit to come in and help bring life to those things, then within a few days, uh, nothing's happened. And so we want to be tactical. I want to read some statistics to you that are actually in Defending the Feminine Heart. Uh, and they're found on page 38. But I want to read this. This is about the, uh, the power of a father. Fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse, mental illness, suicide, poor educational performance, teen pregnancy, and criminality, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Over half of all the children living with a single mother are living in poverty, a rate of five to six times that of kids living with both parents. Children's, uh, children abuse is significantly more likely to occur in single-parent homes than in intact families. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes, according to the U.S. Census. 72% of adolescent murderers grew up without fathers. 60% of America's rapists grew up the same way, according to the study by Cornell University. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists motivated with displaced anger come from fatherless homes. In single mother families in the U.S., about 66% of young children live in poverty. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. Children from low-income two-parent families outperform students from high-income single-parent 
homes. Almost twice as many high achievers come from two-parent homes as from one-parent homes. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. And I could go on and on and on. I have way too many statistics about that, 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 the, the power of a father. And when a father is not present, uh, our people are not safe. And so the, the, the importance of not merely fathers, but men, possessors of the X and Y chromosome, understanding who they are and why they are on this planet. You were put here to stand as a man for three reasons. We talk about this early, the first couple of chapters of cave time. I don't have time to run through all of this for you today, but we talk about this. You were put on this planet as a man for three roles. The first role is to show up first. I believe God made Adam and put him here first to stand up first. And not necessarily because he was the smartest or was the best looking, uh, but because he was supposed to be first. That's just what men do. He was supposed to stand first. The second reason or the second role that you fill as a man is that you uh, were put on this planet to raise your masculine voice on behalf of the creator. You were here to have a relationship with him and to have a masculine presence. God put you on this planet as a man at this time in history to be a masculine presence. And third, he puts you here as a man to have relationships with those who help you live well. Well, you can't get to the third chapter of Genesis and not have that attacked, right? I mean, for two chapters, things are going well. God says it, it is so, it is very good, there's blessing. God says it, it is so, it is very good, there's blessing. We have this happen, and then all of a sudden, chapter three, and the serpent comes. And we have the serpent come, and I have, I have thought many times, what, what was the serpent doing sitting there talking to Eve, and how, how did Adam sit and allow the serpent to objectify his woman? Because it says that she took some of that fruit and gave some to him, for he was with her. Adam was sitting there while the serpent called God's word into question and assaulted all of those three roles that I just told you about. I so wish we would have had a different chapter there that said, and Adam stood and punched the serpent square in the mouth. Wouldn't that have been great? I mean, the serpent must have been very impressive. I think the serpent walked in there on two feet because later he's told to crawl. So I think the serpent was beautiful, intelligent, wily, right, seductive. And somehow the serpent uh, seduced them into thinking that it was okay to go against what God said and we had the fall. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. But then we have what's called the proto-evangelium. That's just fancy verbiage for first evangelistic proclamation. Because in Genesis 3.15, God, through his own voice, says this to the serpent. He said, you will crawl on your belly, and uh, the seed of the woman will crush your head. And oh, you'll strike at his heel, but he will crush your head. 
And so throughout the history of Scripture, we have this narrative of how the seed of a woman would come and ultimately come uh, through the person of Jesus. And then everyone who would be of his seed would be a serpent crusher. Oh, Oh, if I had time with you today, we would talk about what it means to be part of the serpent-crushing seed. And I would show you how throughout history, throughout the history of Scripture, we have this this affinity for uh, the crushing of the head of evil kings. The crushing. And you you look at David. You look at uh, his, he almost had this fixation with the crushing of the head of his enemies, right? And then ultimately you see David in 1 Samuel 17 where he takes the head of Goliath. And you don't even have to be a Christian person, a person of faith, and you know what the David and Goliath story was about. It still reverberates today. And David crushes, cuts the head off of Goliath in amazing, epic fashion. Ah. And then he walks around with that head for a couple of days. Wayne, isn't that cool? I know, man. That excites Wayne. He's wild. Watch out. (laughs) So David walks around with that head, Goliath's head. Right there, 1 Samuel 17, you could read it at the end of it. I'm drawn to stuff like that. That's pretty cool. You can see him. I think what he was doing was he was walking around with that head he was going to take it to the taxidermist. I would. Have that bad boy stuffed to put it up there on the mantle. I've got a cave at my house and things that I've shot live on the wall, or they're dead on the wall. Right? So, but I've, I've wondered many times, like, what, what, did, what did David do with the head? <laughs> what happened to the head? And uh, I've, I've, I've studied this. It's really, really interesting. It is thought that that head was taken to Golgotha. Oh, oh, Golgotha and placed there because it was, a, it was a, a, an unclean head, the head of a Gentile. So it was outside of the city wall, but it was placed there on Golgotha. And legend has it that that's where that head rested because one day, oh, you know where I'm going, one day, the serpent-crushing seed, Jesus himself, would be put on the top of Golgotha, right there, and crush the serpent's head, ultimately. Come on, can't get no help in here today. And then, when you become of his seed, you too are a serpent crusher. Isn't that awesome? And so, when you are, Paul tells us, of the seed of the second Adam, so you've fallen We are all born fallen because of the first Adam, because of what happened in the garden, chapter 3. But when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are of the seed of the second Adam. And Paul would tell us that you're part of a whole new race. We've quoted it a couple of times already. You're part of this race of Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. The Greek word prototokos, prototype. Jesus is the prototype of a whole new race of humanity. Serpent crushers. Ooh. <laughs> Did you get that? Serpent crushers. So you aren't, you aren't just a bunch of men. 
You're possessors of the X and Y chromosome redeemed, serpent-crushing, giant-killing seed. Oh, come on, Wade! (laughs) So when you leave here today, I'm serious, this is real stuff, and I chronicle this for you in defending the feminine heart. The enemy is coming after you, and you had better stand. And when you are a follower of Jesus Christ, of the seed of the serpent crusher, it's not like you need to get saved and unsaved and saved and unsaved and wrestle with sin. Here's the deal. Get delivered and start acting like what you are, a serpent crusher. Behold, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. So you know what? You need to start acting like what you are. That's why we really tried to raise our children with not shaming them, not telling them, you are a thief, or you lied, but no, 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 no. Stop stealing. Stop lying. You've met Jesus, and you're not like that anymore. Quit acting like something that you're not. You are a serpent crusher. You are saved. You are honest. You are honorable. And it's time to act like what you are. Oh, you are serpent crushers, brothers. And so my hope is this, that you will apply the tactics, uh, the rhythm of the serpent crusher. And we're going to look at, just, just really quickly here, a couple of texts. We're going to look at the, the uh, serpent crushing, giant killing tactics of King David. And that's what you'll see in in the cave time book. You will see five, uh, the five stones of cave time. But I think it's important before we look at David that you understand a couple of things. And so we're going to just put it on pause because I want to let you see something. When we look at David, I I think someday when I go to heaven, and I've thought about this many times, when you go to heaven, I think there are, long lines uh, where you will stand in line and do stuff. They just think, you're in heaven, so it doesn't matter if you have to wait long, long because, you're, number one, you're glad you made it. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm there. And you're waiting in line to, to see, I think, maybe to see famous people. And I've thought in my mind the, the lines of famous people. I've, in my top, number one, Jesus, obviously. He is number one, and then it's a tie between King David and John Wayne, famous actor. I'm serious. But you, everybody, because uh, we, we've got, I th- so, so I think you're in, in these lines and you're excited to be there. You're like in the Jesus line, right? Everybody needs to go there first because that's what it's about. And you're in line and you're waiting to see Jesus and you're glad you're there. And you see your buddy who's way back. You're like, hey, you made it. I didn't even think you were good. I'm glad you did, right? And you're excited. You're waiting and then at some point, you get really close, and I've thought about this. And I cannot wait until I get to, like, touch Jesus. I mean, we've had a relationship since I was 11 years old, and I've talked with him. I've heard his voice, but I can't wait to touch him. And I've thought about this. So the guy in front of me, maybe it's Jasper in front of me, and he got to have his time with Jesus, and it took way too long. So Jasper's finally out of there. And it's my turn. I've thought about this. I can't wait to go in and bear hug him. I really think he's going to be okay with that. 
I can't wait to bear hug him and grab him. And then they'll be like, okay, get both out of there and I'm going to stay longer. They're going to have to call security because I'm having my resurrected body and I'm, I'm fairly strong now, but in that resurrected body, you're going to have to peel me off. And I can't wait to be with him and smell him. He's a carpenter, so I have wood shavings. I don't know what he smells like. I just can't wait. You know, good manly smell. Son of God smell, and they'll finally get me off of him. And I'll walk away, head fake, boom, go back in. And I'm going down for the feet. I cannot wait to grab those feet. Those feet that have holes for me, I can't wait to grab those feet, kiss those feet, thank him for those feet, tickle him a little bit. That's Jesus, I love him, I can't wait. And then when they peel me off, I can't wait to go to David. I think David, then John Wayne. And talk to David about what it must have been like, right, to kill Goliath. But I think before we ever engage in that conversation, he will make sure that I've gone to Jesus first, or he'll probably smell Jesus on me. Uh, Because we don't want to glorify. I didn't write that book. We don't glorify David. Anything David did well, he got from Jesus anyway, right? Because we see everything. That's the point we make in cave time. All of this stuff that you see in David that's really great, Jesus did that. Okay, so these five stones of cave time that we're going to look at, Jesus did that. He is the ultimate caveman, okay? And so it's important for us to see that. But this, this, uh, this uh, uh, rhythm of uh, warrior rhythm that we see in David, it's epic, right? He kills Goliath. He is the hand-to-hand combat guy. He is amazing, one of the most brilliant tacticians militarily in the history of military tactics he had this triad of threes and and he had these numbers of guys that were absolutely amazing that were honed uh in this time if if uh, you know in your mind we don't have time to look at that today in first samuel 16 david is chosen he is chosen above all of his brothers and anointed king If you don't know the story, I want to have you go there and study it and read it. See how David is picked out because he paid attention to his heart. David is picked out because he learned how to use a sling when no one was watching. Right? So I want to tell you this. If you think you're just getting it done and no one's watching, pay attention to detail. If you think that what you're engaged in is mundane spirituality and boring, push in harder. If you think that prayer is just like, it's just boring, I want to encourage you to pray harder. Be tactical in the way you pray. Learn when no one's watching because at some day the lights will be on and there's a giant that's got to get taken care of and you need to learn how to take care of that when no one's watching, right? Because I'm telling you, David, the first time he pulled out that sling was not that first day in the field of Elah. In fact, it's really interesting. We see him pull that out. It's great. In 1 Samuel 17. So he gets anointed in 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 17. It's really, he, he's the snack guy, right? Because there is a king, King Saul, who God's not really happy with. And, and David uh, is just taking care of sheep. He's the snack guy. His dad sends him to take his brother, his brother's snacks, really, literally. And so he takes them snacks, and he sees what's going on. There they are in the Valley of Elah. And warfare in that day would see armies come, and they would yell at each other like, your mother, 
and your mother's mother, and she's even uglier than your mother's mother's mother. And they would yell, and they would, they would taunt each other. And then they would send out a champion, and they would do battle. And if your champion won, it was good for you that day. If your champion lost, it was a bad day. Because your women were going to get taken, your sons would be taken into slavery, and you men would, would, just, would just be done away with. And so David walks up to that, and he sees what's going down. It's really interesting. He uh, talks to his brothers. They shoo him away. They tell him to go take, where are your sheep that you were taking care of? And then he's like, he hears Goliath taught. And he hears Goliath, and he's like, what's that? And they say who it is, and go take care of those sheep. And then, and then he's like, no, 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 just a minute. What's, what's the guy get who kills that? And they're like, no taxes in a woman. He's like, uh, really? And he asked him to repeat it again. No taxes in a woman. He's like, I'm in. And so the rest is history. He walks out there that day, not in, the, not in King Saul's armor, but he walks out there with five stones and a sling. And he didn't take five stones. I'm convinced he didn't take five stones because he was a bad shot or a, a two-tapper. He was a one-tapper. And pop, Goliath went down. And the course of his nation was changed historically. First Samuel 17. You know it. You've read it. I want to encourage you. Go back there. We walk through that in cave time for you. But then a really interesting thing happens. David... Uh, Literally, after he kills Goliath, I mean, seriously, he becomes a rock star. That's, it was a little bit of a funny, well, at least Americans laugh at that. Rock killed Goliath, right? Okay, all right, you're like, all right, okay, okay, I'll work harder. Come on, it gets better. But literally, he becomes extremely famous, okay? And so famous that the current king, Saul, gets jealous, right? And, uh, and I think David realized and things weren't going well the second time a spear from Saul's hand narrowly missed David's face. I think he realized in our country in America, we call that a pink slip. Fired. Done. No job anymore. And so what he did was uh, he, he then uh, runs to his wife. Well, bad news, that's the girl he won in the Kill Goliath contest. So he loses his job. He loses his wife. So you should be able to go to your best friend. Well, bad news, best friend Jonathan is the king's son. Rightly should be the next king, but God promotes who he wants. So David can't really run to him. He loses his friendship there. Then uh, the, fourth, the fourth friendship he loses is Samuel, the priest who got him into this thing in the first place. He runs to Samuel. Uh, and every time he runs to a particular place or thing, that thing is taken away from him, and the king's death hit squads uh, chase him there. And then finally, uh, he ran. He, he's with Samuel, and there's a museum at the church where Samuel, where Samuel has his school of the prophets. And in the museum happened to be the sword with which he killed Goliath. You should check it out. 1 Samuel 21. And so as he's leaving town, he takes that sword, he takes some rations, and he runs to Gath, 1 Samuel 21, down there at the end, which is really kind of a weird thing, right? Because he kills, he kills Goliath, and Goliath was from Gath. 
And so he runs to Gath, and I think I know what he was going to do. He was going to find another giant to kill to make himself feel good about himself. I mean, he's just doing what a lot of guys do, right? Have any of you done that, like you try to do things the way you used to, that, like when you, were, when you were young and you try to drum up old glory? Do, 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 do you do that in Ireland? We, we, we do that in America, right? And I remember as, as, uh, as a, a, a uh, middle-aged married man, um, I, I had on the side of our refrigerator something that we in the States call a honeydew list. And a honeydew list is a list that your wife puts somewhere and it's honey, do these things, right? My wife knows never, ever, ever put anything that has to do with electricity or combustible things. It could go, it could go badly for all of us. But she should put things there that, that have to do with landscaping, painting, never cutting in, because I hate taking the time to cut in stuff. It's just but a roller and flapping paint. I love that. I love digging holes. I love moving rocks. I love move, you know, stuff that, that I'm built kind of close to the ground, kind of like a bobblehead doll. And I'm good with you know, short bursts of strength. And so one day the honey list said, carry boxes from garage to attic. I'm like, I got this. And so I take, I take the boxes up into the attic above the garage, take them into the garage. I leave them there, and I'm walking out, minding my own business, and there is a pile of boxes with a box on top that has my mother's writing. It says, Jeff's Memories. I'm like, uh-huh. And so I open the box, and inside of that box... There were some holy relics. My high school wrestling singlet. Oh, Arvada High School Redskins, 1979 and 80. There it was. It even kind of smelled like 1979 and 80. And my red Onitsuka wrestling shoes, there they were. And immediately, I was transfixed. I was sucked back to 1979. There I was in that attic, but in my mind, I was at Pomona High School. We were were there wrestling the Pomona Panthers. I was the captain of our wrestling team, 155 pounds. I know you're going, that was a while ago. 155 pounds. And there I was, and I, it was epic. There were my parents, my youth pastor, my uncle who had wrestled at K State. I mean, there was my girlfriend, my other girlfriend. Now stop. It's true though. There, there we were, and 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 I step out onto the onto the mat and, and the referee wrestle. And I took that kid down and beat on him that night and didn't pin him just because. I would put him on his back and I'd, I'd you know look at the other folks and say, hey, what's up? And then I'd let him up and, and I was on that night. I was on that night. It was an epic night. And in the attic, I went back there in my mind. And then the dust cleared, and there the singlet and I were. And I heard this voice that said, I wonder if that still fits. Because they stretch, right? I mean, they, they stretch. <laughs> now, now, I mean, it, it, it looked a little smaller than I did remember it in, in the day. So I'm thinking, I'm just here by myself. My wife and kids had gone shopping. (laughs) 
So I disrobed. <laughs> and I tried the singlet on. I, I put my left leg in it, and I, I pulled it up, and I only got it up to the knee. And I'm like, this is tight. It, but they're supposed to stretch, right? And it was tight. And, but I got it up, you know, somewhere there on the thigh, and I'm, I'm in this now. And I'm like, I got to, tr-. so I put it on the other side, and it was even tighter on the right side. I'm like, this is, wow. And so I got it up, and if you don't know those old school singlets, they're like, they're like underwear with just a couple pieces of string. And so I get in, and I got, I got over, and I got that thing over my left shoulder. And I'm serious. It was hot up there. It gets hot in Oklahoma, so it's hot up there in the attic. And I'm sweating. I'm sweating. But I'm in, man. I got to finish this thing. I'm sweating. And, and I felt pulse in my eyeballs. It was tight. Because you got veins that go down the back of your leg right there. And I get the other side up, and I, I couldn't even get good. So I was trying to get in my wrestling position, and it was hot. And so I think, man, I think I'm going to pass out. So I, w- I wanted to go down where, where, uh, where it was cooler down there. So I went down the ladder. I, I, I didn't realize my, my family had come home. <laughs> they did not know me when it fit properly. <laughs> so, so I bust into the kitchen. I didn't know they were there. and They didn't know I would be dressed like that. And so I, I pop in and I, you know, I'm sweating and look like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to faint. And my wife, those of you who are married know, your wife does not have to say words to you to speak volumes. <laughs> she just looked at me. She looked at me, and she was hurt, offended, <laughs> and she just, all she said was, ah, it was just a shriek, it was, it was pain, and, <laughs> and then my, my, my little son goes, Daddy, what, what, what is that? I said, it's my wrestling singlet, I can't, I'm going to get sick, you be quiet, you'll be grounded for a year, help me get this thing off. Poor David. The end of 1 Samuel 21. Man, he did that. You should read. He went, he got Goliath's sword. He shows up and they mock him. Kind of like my family was going to start doing to me. And they mocked him. They're like, is this David? He doesn't look the same. What is up with him? He was... He was a guy that was running afraid, trying to drum up old glory. Tell stories about the good old days. It was really interesting what happened. It says that he spit on his beard. In that culture, your beard is your glory. So he began to spit on his beard. He began to get down and grovel in the ground and I think chew on the gatepost. He did a bunch of weird stuff to where the king came down and he said, you've brought me another crazy man? I don't need another crazy man. David was actually being kind of smart because the thought was if you killed a crazy man, that demon came on you. So he was being kind of smart, and the king's like, get this guy out of here. And then, if you would, I just want us to look at this text, 1 Samuel 22, if you want to turn there real quickly. 1 Samuel 21, he's crazy. He tries on the old singlet. And 1 Samuel 22, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. 
When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. That's where, that's where I got the term cave time. They went, they, they, they went to have cave time. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. He became their leader. About 400 men were with him. So David escapes. David is running. He had lost every support system in his life. He had lost his job. He had lost his woman. He had lost his best friend. He had lost his holy man. And he had lost his dignity. And he knew what warriors understand. You don't, you don't fight tactically like out there in the battlefield every day. There are days where you need to, to retreat from the assault and you need to, to, to regroup. You need to learn fresh skills. You need to, and so as I begin to look at this, I was at a period in my life where, man, I needed something. Some of you have shared your stories. We've got guys that, are, that have been freed from addiction. We've got guys that have wrestled with porn. We've got all kinds of stuff going on, just like those 401 had going on as well. And they understood that we've got to get off of the battlefield and be tactical here. We've got to practice our warrior's rhythm. Most historians think that that's where David... David met with these guys who, they were 400 left from the battalion of 1,000 that he had gotten when uh, he had, uh, you know, kills Goliath, he goes to the palace, and he gets a battalion of 1,000. And so the country's in civil war, and 400, so David, 600 of his guys decide they're going to stay with Saul, 400 decide that they're going to go with David. They'd remembered that he was the guy that killed Goliath, and he may have been down right now, but they trusted that he could, he could hear the voice of God. And they were going to go there, and they were going to find him in that cave, and they were going to have cave time. And they were in debt, distressed, and they were discontented. In the book Cave Time, we talk about that 3D lifestyle, which really covers about every one of us. And they went there, and I love what David says in 1 Samuel, 20, uh, 1 Samuel 22, verse 3. From there, David went to Mizpah and Moab's, and said to the king of Moab, would you let my father and mother stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? He knew, he knew that if he could escape the assault long enough, and he, and he had gone to that cave before, I'm sure that wasn't the first day. He understood that when he was in the midst of the assault, he, he needed to get away so he could hear. He knew God would speak. And I came across the ocean to tell every one of you this, God speaks God speaks. He's speaking now. God will be speaking tonight on your way home, tomorrow. But sometimes you just have to take the time to get into the warrior's rhythm, get out of the fight, and listen until he says something to you. And I promise that he will. So David knew that he would go to the cave and God would say something to him there. Verse 4. So he left them with the king. And they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet said to David, don't stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David goes to the cave. He meets with his guys. They have cave time. And the prophet, they get a word. Why? Because God speaks. Right? But too often we are just too cluttered. There's too much prattle and rattle in our lives where we just don't listen. We don't know the disciplines. And I'm going to give you five of them called the five stones of cave time, that they practiced while they were in the cave here having cave time. And it's really interesting to see. I can tell you, it was, uh, 
It was very, very powerful to, th this was actually, the, the book Cave Time was my doctoral thesis. And it was this, that there has to be a masculine spirituality that we can practice, that when we do that, we can be like the champions of old. And it was, it was powerful to be, able, is, uh, to be able to tell you uh, that it works, to be able to tell our doctoral committee, hey, this works. I'm telling you what, if you do these five things that I'm going to propose to you, if you practice these five stones, you will be a more powerful man. You will learn how to hear the voice of the Lord. You will be a wall for your people. Where do we get that, that concept of wall? Well, 1 Samuel 22, they start to have cave time. And it's really interesting. Again, they are in civil war, and there are these marauding bands of warlords that were in the country. As the country is falling apart, there are these bands of warlords that you would pay, you would pay off, and that they would take care of you, and, and sometimes they were honest, sometimes they weren't. Well, David and his guys were going out, and they would go out, and they would, they would uh, uh, protect people. And let's, let, me, let me tell you what is said about them. 1 Samuel 25, verse 15. These were those who were indebted, distressed, and despondent. Here's what, after having cave time, here's what is said about them. These men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. The whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us. All the time we were herding our sheep near them. Something miraculous happened. They came together in the midst of a nation that was being assaulted. And they came together and they practiced the five stones of cave time, and they became a wall to their people. I don't know about you, but I would suspect, I've paid enough attention to your local news, your nation needs a wall, doesn't it? I can feel it. I love your nation. I do. I love to be in Northern Ireland. But man, you need, you need a wall, right? And that's why you're here. It is. No, don't, don't say, ah, oh, it's a bad time to be alive. I wish, no, 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 it's a great time to be alive. Why? Because you were supposed to be here. And God has given you the X and Y chromosomes and put you on this planet to be a man now. Now start acting like what you are. Let Jesus come in, that second Adam. Let him make you a serpent-crushing, giant-killing wall of masculinity. Where when you stand, your people are safe. As you stand, they feel safe when, when you're around them. There's something that happens when men begin to stand and be the wall that they're to be. Cultures begin to thrive. We're, we're at a, 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 a particular precipice in Western history. We are in our country. Uh, I can feel it here. It's a great time to be alive because there's a battle to be fought. Uh, for men to stand... Uh, for men to learn what it is to hear the voice of God and to bring hope, light, and life of the kingdom. Jesus prayed this, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Oh, that's here. <laughs> On earth as it is in heaven. We are called to establish kingdom outposts right here to show people what the culture of the kingdom is. And to have men of God who will stand and be the wall that he has called them to be. Let me, let me tell you the five stones that I identified that David and his men practiced 
And then I'm going I'm to identify these for you. We, we go over those in cave time. The website, uh, this Defending the Feminine Heart book that Mike held up, that is a book that I wrote to help us. Porn and all of that other stuff starts with lust. And we have, to, we have to attack it at the root. And so we give you strategies to apply the five spiritual disciplines. But stones sound so much cooler. To apply these five stones. The first is this. Show up. Show up. David and the men had to show up at the cave to have cave time. Every group of men I speak to all over the world, you know what I'm talking about when I say, God is calling you to show up. You can't, you can't, you, you cannot hear his voice if you won't show up. Show up uh, and learn to listen. Show up for your kids. Show up for your wife. Show up. It all starts. That first discipline, that first stone is the stone of show up. Number two, worship. Man, do Irish men know how to worship. I love just today sitting back. Americans, God, we got to coax them. We were talking about that. It's really interesting. American men, they just don't sing as quickly. They're like, <gasps> they yell. I'm like, please, come on. You guys, I love the fact that you know the power of worship, raising your masculine voice. You guys know how to fight, right? Fighting Irish. You know how to fight. It's, it's culturally, thank God, lead the way. Learn how to fight with worship. Right? Worship not just at church, but in your own home. I know my wife feels safe when in the morning I am sitting in my little cave on the other side of our room, and it's not loud like, Lord, God bless Lori. Not, no, I'm, not, I'm not doing that too early because I'm an early guy. But I know, I know she feels covered when I'm, oh, Lord, in the morning. Will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up? And I just sing to Jesus and I begin to raise my voice and I begin to pray. I begin to worship. Something happens when men worship. That's the second stone that these guys practiced. There are ca- there, in, in the book Cave Time, there are cave psalms that were written in and about Uh, the cave time experience. It's powerful. So that's the second stone. The third stone is the stone of prayer. So they showed up, they worshiped, and then they prayed. And I'm not telling, I'm not saying these just, now I lay me down to sleep prayers. I'm saying, man, God wants you to talk to him. God wants you to take authority in your home. You know what we do in the morning? I pray. And I, man, I rebuke and bind things that would try to come on my property. I'm king here. I'm Dulas king. I'm a slave king, but I am a king here, bought by Jesus. So I'm his Dulas, but I'm a king here. And I'm in the name of Jesus. Anything that would set itself up against the kingdom culture of heaven dare come on this property in the name of Jesus. You're rebuked. You're bound. Get away. You have no. You have no place here. I call down the oil of the Holy Spirit to be in my home. In the name of Jesus, I speak. Death to my mortgage. I cannot wait for that thing to go away. No. Let me tell you, I've been doing that. When we bought our home, 30-year mortgage, I started, I started working hard. I don't just say death to it and not, you got to pay your mortgage payment. And then, 
And then I started traveling around the world and tending other people's vineyards and helping other places and then throwing like an extra stone at the mortgage. We're up to paying a mortgage payment and then an equal to that mortgage payment against the principal every month. And I can't tell you exactly strategically how that happened outside of showing up, outside of praying, and then throwing stones at that thing. Oh, it's amazing. Prayer, real prayer. The fourth stone is this. The stone of the word, engaging with the word. Not just, not just reading the word, but engaging with the word. Anybody who's been around me long enough to know, I am convinced David wrote Psalm 144 for me. It's my psalm. I mean, you could use it too. But I believe he's trained my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He's my loving God, my fortress, my stronghold, in whom I take refuge. Right? I believe it's for me, and I engage with the text. Don't just read the text and check it off, but I engage with the text. That's number four. And stone number five is community. Locking shields with a band of brothers who help us live well. And when we practice those five stones, day after day after day after day, you will begin to act like what you are you will begin to be a giant slaying, serpent crushing wall of manhood. Now I want to pray over you and then I'm going to turn it over to Spud. But I want to encourage you. This wasn't just to sell books. All of that tactically and strategically we have in those books out there for you. There's a bunch of free stuff on our website. Uh, but I want to encourage you, please, 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 engage in something even as you go home from here tonight. Engage in prayer. Then tomorrow, set a time when you're going to show up. We walk through all of that stuff in our material out there. But let me pray a prayer over you. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for every man and woman in this room. Thank you that you preordained from before time as we know it that we would be here and we ask by the power of your spirit that you would kindle fire in our hearts. That you would kindle thoughts in our minds that are tactical and strategic. Lord, I pray that we don't flap around and try to drum up old glory, but you would give us fresh and new insight and wisdom and tactics to take it to the enemy. In the name of Jesus, amen, and a thousand more. Amen. So let's give the Lord a hand clap. Spud.